All right, Mark chapter number 15, and uh, we're going to continue here. This is lesson 101 uh, in our Mark study. Last week was uh, 100, and I forgot to say that, but this is lesson 101, and we're going to pick up here in verse 16, uh, coming out of verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus whom he had, when he had scourged him, to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Paratheum, and, that, and they called together the whole band. So now down to here, again, the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he's going to go now and drink of the cup of the wrath of God. The Father's provided for him. He's going to go, the Father's given him the cup, and now he's going to go and do it. And again, Mark is very straightforward, okay? And he's just going to look at the events. He's getting right to the point here. He's not uh, embellishing, not a lot of extra uh, uh, um, conversation. And again, his focus here now is going to be what happens to the Lord, not what the Lord does. He's been doing that. Here's what the Lord did, the servant. Now he's going to change, and he's going to show us what is being done to the Lord, to the servant. And uh, we'll see the, that focus here as we move along. Verse 16, the soldiers led him away. Verse 17, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshiped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Verse 22, and they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. So we see the events. Now, if you'll notice the first word of verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Really, they're almost all the way down through the rest of this chapter. There's a few that don't, like verse 30 and 31, 32 there. Start with that and. And again, <laughs> and. And really, he's going to do this from here almost really all the way to the end of the book. And, and. This continuous succession of events. The wave. Do you see it? Okay. The wave, after wave, after wave of the sorrow and the pain, and really just the incredible, uh, the, David says, the ways of death have rolled over me. And that's literally what's happening here. There's going to be no pause in the physical brutality now that the Lord is going to face. And, and I'll be honest with you, no movie out of Hollywood does any of this justice. And quite frankly, I, I went and saw, you remember when The Passion came out? I went and saw that because I got roped into it. I wouldn't go see that. None of that stuff is gospel material because nowhere in that movie did he say he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again in the third. Actually, they quote John 3.16 instead. That's not the gospel, Okay. So none of that, none of that, all that stuff you see Hollywood try to depict. By the way, the passion was made by a Roman Catholic. So guess what the, the view is? Roman Catholicism. So, and, and I know people did it and, you know, used it and everything, and that's fine for them to do. But for me and for those who asked me, I said, don't go see it, save your money. Why? Because it's not going to do it justice from what we're going to read here in the scriptures there's no pause it's just going to be one boom 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 and mark is going to move us through these events in the text rather quickly but yet not sparing any of the uh, the gory detail so he says here verse 16 and the soldiers led him away into the hall he's been tried of Pilate. okay Pilate has done all that he did, and he's, verse 15, released 
Barabbas, and they take him downstairs into the judgment hall, uh, in, in, into the hall called uh, Pathurium or Praterium. Praetorium, thank you. I'll get there. Just, yeah, exactly. And they called together the whole band. And again, they could have got away with this with just a couple guys, but no. They got the whole platoon there, okay? So now what you're going to see is we're going to see the official Roman government action, okay? The leaders of Israel are morally responsible for the crucifixion of Christ, they demanded it. They said, away, we'll have no king but Caesar. His blood will be on our heads and our children. Morally, they're on the cart. They're on. But the soldiers here that are actually going to commit the action, and what they're going to be doing now is they're going to be carrying out the, the judgment. When Pilate, there at the end of verse 15, when it says, when he, when he had scourged him to be crucified, Pilate's order was beat him, scourge him. So they get the whole band, they get the whole platoon, the whole squad comes. And literally, they're having fun at the Lord's expense. They're mocking him, verse 20. And when they had mocked him, you see, they're, they're joking here. They're having a good time at his expense before they take him out and nail him to the cross. So verse 17, they clothed him with purple, plaited a crown of thorns, and put it about his head and began to salute him hail, hail hail king of the jews and they smote him on the head with the reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshiped him and when they had mocked him all of that is mockery and all of what they saw you know again all of the picture here again think, think about Pilate. what you're a king you're the king of the jews that's what the roman guard are doing the same thing they're, they're looking at him going, are you kidding me? You're a king of the, you're a king? And they just pile it on. And in reality, what these guys are going to be doing is they're actually going to be accomplishing the very intent of God the Father, the very will. They're going to be doing, in all of this activity that they're going to be doing, they are literally fulfilling prophetic scripture and they don't know it. They don't understand it. The Gentile, the guards don't. They don't even, they don't even know it. But, but then the nation of Israel, the leadership, they should know it. And yet here they're going to go right down through it. And again, verse 18, and begin to salute him, hail king of the Jews. And that's the real issue before the Gentiles. Are you really a king? If you're really a king then why are you letting us do this to you, see? Again, before, by the way, the real issue before the religious leaders, Israel, was you said you're the son of God. Ro Pilate, Rome don't care about that. They care about that proclamation of being a king, the power. And literally what the Lord has done is he's challenged the religious leaders, but he challenges them on a spiritual level. I'm the son of God. But with the Gentile, with Rome, that's on, a, that's on a political level, a power level, a governmental structure. He, he's looking at, he, when they say, you're the king of the Jews, that's, again, that's insurrection, that's politics, that's people, that's power. The religious leaders, they're looking at him saying, you, you just said you're God, and that's blaspheme. We don't say that. And yet, Israel is responsible for identifying the Messiah. And they failed, and they've dropped the ball. So verse 17, as we just kind of look at this stuff, see what's going on here the, the rest of the hour, that's kind of the scene here. Um, verse 17, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. So they've got a purple robe on him. they got a crown and the crown, it's a crown of thorns. Well, that's going to hurt. <laughs> I, there's a trail that I walk um, and I, I hike on, and it's got a tree on it, a bush or a tree, and it's got a thorn that's like three inches long. And it's a thorn, and, I, and it caught me one day. I, I knew it was coming. You know, you kind of duck. It still got me. 
And I mean, that thing stuck. I'm like, okay, that's going to hurt, you know, and it's stuck. And I, you think about that. They take that issue and they, they make a crown, again, mocking him. Verse 19, and they smote him on the head with a reed. See, he's got a reed, and they beat, they're beating on him with it. Now, if, if you come over to Matthew 27, you'll, you, you'll see some things here about, like, the reed. Why, you know, because they have given him a reed. Matthew 27, um, verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it up, I'm sorry, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So again, mockery. They put that reed is like the scepter of the king. They put it in his right hand. And he says, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, here's what, you know, man, is this really what a Jewish king looks like? You know, oh my, they're just on him. So they do this kind of a coronation of him, but it's phony, it's fake, it's all mockery. They smut, so they, he's got that reed in his hand, Mark 15, they take it away from him and they start beating on him with it. And they take it out of his hands and they beat him. And, and again, <laughs> the beating of him is them telling him and then everyone else a witness that we're not going to let you be king. You're not running this nation. We are. We can take, and by the way, we can take your nation anytime we want to. And so there's this picture, there's the Gentiles, again, Gentiles and Israel have come, they're in league together, and yet the Gentile, the Rome, they're like, we're going to demonstrate who really is in control of, all of this. And guess what? It isn't you. Now, again, they don't understand when the Lord told Pilate, my, my kingdom is not now, but it will be when I come back. See, he doesn't get that. But they put a robe on him. Now, it's an interesting thing. Mark has purple, but Matthew has scarlet. And scarlet is red, and that's the color of blood. But purple, to get purple, you have to take red and blue and put them together, and you get purple. So the purple begins to illustrate, again, of what's happening. Here he is. He's going to shed his blood. There's the red. But why, why is he shedding his blood? He's looking into the cup of the Father from heaven. He's going to be doing the will of heaven. By the way, heaven, there's the blue. And you put them together and you got your purple. So even in, the, in, in what they're doing here in the mockery and in mockery, really, in reality, they're doing and accomplishing the will of the Father. So you've got two, th two robes here, okay, and, and you got two things happening here that symbolize and picture what the Lord's about to do. He's about to go shed his blood, and he's looking into the cup of the wrath of, the, of God, and, it, and that is the will of God. So uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, and, and he made him to be sin. God the Father makes God the Son be the sin, and that's what you're seeing. Here he is, the, the purple heaven doing the will of God, the red, the blood, shed blood, and now we've got that picture. So what, what happens now, uh, come over to John 19, just to kind of catch the scene in all of this, because there's some things going on while this is going on over here, then it's go, there's other things happening, and, and I, I really just kind of like you to get the feel of it here. Uh, John 19, look at John 19, look at verse 21. John 19, 21. Then said the chief priest of the, of the Jews to Pilate. You see the then. The then, okay, these events now are going to, there's some events that are going to be taking place. 
that follow 1840, verse 40. Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So they release Barabbas, and then there's a response to all of that, and Jesus Christ, and then Christ is taken and scourged. 19.1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and he said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, so while Pilate is going to have this conversation with the Israel, the leaders and the people, the guys are downstairs beating the tar out of the Lord. Okay? Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. So what's happened? The Lord's been downstairs. They've been beating on him. They bring him upstairs, and the, chief, the leadership says what? Crucify him. They take him away. Verse 7, Then the Jews answered, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Again, that's their cry. Pilate's worry is that he's the king of the Jews. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. You see, that's, he, Pilate goes down there. He kind of bothered Pilate when they said he said he's the son of God. Because the Rome... The Romans as, were as superstitious as anybody, and they had every nickel, diamond, quarter covering everything because they wanted to be the victor, and the gods would help them. So the issue here again, verse, 11, verse uh, 10, Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? And that's why Pilate was a coward. He could have easily ended all of it and sent him on the way, but he doesn't. But look at the Lord's answer. Because, again, Pilate's issue is government authority. Now watch the Lord. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. The last word that the Lord said to Pilate was sin. That's the last word he says to Pilate. But what is the Lord saying? You got no power over me. Now you could take it two ways. One, Pilate's power is coming from Rome, someone above him. Or more importantly, what the Lord's referring to is this is all by the plan of the Father, God. And you're just a puppet in the show here, and you have no clue, see, of what's going on. Again, what did the Lord say? I lay my life down, no man taketh it. I, I'm doing this. Nobody's coming and telling me to do this. And he demonstrates that in the garden when they come in and they say, he says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus, and I am he, and knocks them all down. He easily has the ability, the power to do it. And Pilate, verse 12, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha, and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Note, all of this takes place in the public view while the soldiers have the Lord downstairs mocking him, beating on him, and working him over. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, by the way, if you go back there to Matthew 27, Matthew 27, 
where we were just a minute ago, verse 24, this is when this passage takes place. Matthew 27, 24. The, the point there in John, uh, John 19, 15, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate says unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of the just, this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. And that's exactly where they're at. And that's where we're at in Mark 15. We're, Mark, again, Mark 15, we, he starts out with that scarlet robe. That's removed. As things progress, they take off the scarlet. They put on the purple. And again, he's in front of the group. They've, they've just been beaten on him. And what begins to happen here is, again, the picture. You have his death. There's the scarlet. The purple is his death at the Father's will and word. So there's something, but then there's also a little something else going on in all of this. See, Again, he, God made him to be what? Sin for us. So we see that. Now, think about scarlet and purple. Come over to Revelation 17. So there's the servant serving the will of the Father. So when you think about this, and you think about scarlet and purple... Why did the Roman soldiers pick those colors? Because they could have picked any color. They're mocking him. They're not Bible people at all. They have no clue of anything. They're very religious. They, he, they could have just picked black and blue because we're going to black and blue. You know, They could have did anything, but they didn't. They picked scarlet and purple. In Revelation 17, we have a description here of, of the uh, spiritual Babylon, if you will. Baal worship, it's called. Here is the official religion of the Antichrist, of what's coming out there, what's going to cause all the world. All, I said it Sunday about all roads leading back to God. Literally, that's what this guy's going to promote. And it's going to be a, a corrupt, counterfeit, to the word of God, and its design is to get all of the world to come and follow him. But just watch the description here. By the way, this is where Rome is. Rome would be in this. The Roman guards would be sucked into this stuff because it's the religion of the world. And they've got their little, I, I was watching a documentary, and they got to talking about the, the religion of Rome because it's not just one. It's like all these, it's almost like Hinduism. They got every god covered. And they were showing the little trinkets, the little idol things uh, that they would take. And one was a horse and one was this and a bird. And they said the soldiers would wrap those up and put them in their belt for protection. And it was, you know, and this is the God of this and the God of that and, you know, and everything. So here's why they picked scarlet and purple. Verse 1, and there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, come hither. I will show you, I'm sorry, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now, this woman, verse 18, the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And that's Babylon. Uh, if you come back to chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So the great city here, Babylon, back to Revelation 17, look at verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried away he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman 
sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blaspheme, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, an abomination of the earth. So this system here, and again, what is she... What are her, she's got scarlet on her, sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast. She's got purple, arrayed, verse 4, in purple and scarlet. So her colors, the colors of this religion are what? Scarlet and purple. The symbol is going to be that golden cup in her hand. That's her symbol. So when, when... the soldiers pick, and they're going to beat on him. See, they don't. They pick up. They use religious symbolism, scarlet and purple. They're not thinking about him dying for the sins of the world or any of that. They're thinking about we're mocking him, and he's not the leader. So there is a corrupt, counterfeit religious system. That's going to then promote the a corrupt, counterfeit king, the Antichrist, and his kingdom. And the colors, see, Rome would be right on top of this. They wouldn't be, again, the soldiers are very superstitious. So when you think about this in Mark 15, go back to Mark 15. Just You can, you can let Revelation go. Mark 15. It, there's a thing that happens in, in Catholicism that makes this robe, this purple robe here, something. If you look at verse 20, I'm, I'm sorry. What, the Roman Catholic thought is that when the Lord, when they parted the Lord's robes and they cast lots and then, and then one got it and one went over here and it's kind of like that shroud thing that they do. But there's a problem with that. If you look at verse 20, and when they had mocked him, what'd they do? They took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out the cruise. You see, when they part his garments and everything, that's not the purple robe. That's, not the, that's his own clothes, see. So there, but what did they do? They come in here and they make it all hoodly do and and... And they make this thing, verse 24, And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. Again, the, the issue here is this robe. The colors for the soldiers are matching their religious ceremonial stuff. The Lord, you come over in Scripture, here's the shed blood, scarlet. Here's the, he's dying by the will and the word of the Father, the purple. The red plus the blue, boom, there we go. So again, there's no, the robe thing, you get into religion and it's just crazy how they just, they take a thread and they pull it until it just, you know, but yet here it is. And again, we've talked about Baal. And when you find a religious system that looks like Baal worship and acts like Baal worship, then you need to run the other way. And what that stuff does is, again, <laughs> Baal worship, they have a church building, a house of gods, see. They've got little idols that are aids to worship that they use in word to worship with. The priests are called father. The, they've got an altar. They've got a sacrifice. They've got all of this... And all that is is a manifestation, modern-day manifestation of the bail system. Judges comes out of Judges. You see it back there. You see it in Cain in Genesis 4. You see it over here with Nimrod. You see it in different places all through. And, re- and Rome is, all, is a part of all of that, just right in there. So when you think about some of this and the events that are happening here, all of that, manifestation of the bail system that system is they're all they're doing is promoting 
they're promoting this, the, the lie program, the satanic policy of evil. They're promoting the Antichrist, and they're getting him to bring him the power. And that's where these guys are at. So look here in chapter 15. Again, the reason for the two robes is because of the, uh, of the corrupt idea of what a real king would look like. They're mocking Christ. They put the red on. Oh, no, that's not him. Take it off. Take it off. Take it. Put the, oh, the purple. That's the one. Okay. And they're, it's just complete mockery. Verse 17. They clothed him with the purple, with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. Now, think about that. They make, they make up the crown, and then they push it down on him, okay? Well, the, and it's crowns. Uh, I'm sorry, thorns. And they're, again, the crown, the king. He, they got a reed in his, in his hand, his right hand, and they just put him down. Now, if you think about the thorn, what is the thorn of symbol of in Scripture? Come back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. You see, the thorn, they picture, they, they're a symbol of sin, of the curse of sin on creation. When Adam and Eve fell, and he's going to remove them out of the garden, Genesis 3.17, the, the Lord says this to Adam. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Think about that. Thorns, the sign of the curse of sin that God placed on creation. He placed it on man. By the way, verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Notice it doesn't say the sweat of thy brow. A sweat on your brow is one little line. But the sweat on your face is you're just dripping, all of it. And if you think about it, that is all over. <laughs> I was hiking this morning, and it doesn't matter anymore if you get up early or not. When it's 7, at 6.30, 6 in the morning, it's 95 degrees. It ain't, you know, being up at 4 ain't going to help you none. But you get done, and what I'm just drenched. Then I get in the car, the AC hits you, and it's like, oh. You know, turn all that off, open the windows, you know. and But that's what, literally, it's going to be the work now. Man is a, man in his fallen nature, he's got to work all the days of his life. So the thorn is a picture of the curse of sin on creation, on man. Come over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. So what you're in the thorns, we're seeing that picture of the pain that sin caused as they take it and they push it down on his head. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, why was he made a curse for us? Because Deuteronomy 21.23 says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, in Mark 15, they have no idea what they're doing, that they're doing any of this. Okay? You, we come along, Bible believers, we look at it, we say, hey, look at that. This is exactly what Scripture says they're going to do here. They, pat, they put it down on his head. Now, come back to Matthew 15. Because there's an interesting correlation to this in verse 22. They, they put it on his head. Okay? Verse, uh, Mark 15, 22. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is, being interpreted, the place of a skull. Well, what's the skull? That's the head, see? 
Luke 23 says that this place is called Calvary. Now, the New Bibles pull that out, so we lose Calvary, okay? Calvary is a Latin word that's come into the English, and it means the skull. So where are we? Again, again, where did they put that crown of thorns? On his head. Now, what do you do with your head? Well, hopefully you think, see. But what kind of thinking got Adam cursed? Good or bad thinking? Bad thinking. So Christ dies at the place called the skull. He's dying at the place where your bad thinking, your deadly thinking gets you, death. So you've got this picture here coming through where the first Adam put all of mankind, by one man's sin, and he's boom. Christ now is going to come, take that cursed thing, the thorns, and he's going to go and die in man's stead and face that second death, the reed. He's got the reed. They're going to beat on him with the reed. And what do they do? Again, it's in his right hand. They take him. They hit him. Again, we're in charge, not you. Now, Mark 15, verse 18. And then they're going to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. Again, they don't believe any of this. They're just mocking him. This is really the king. You know, hey, guys, look at this guy. He can't even, okay? You think you're going to liberate the nation out there? You know, what a joke, man. What a joke. Then what do they do? Verse 19, And they smote him on the head with the reed and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees they worshipped him. Again, full-blown mockery. Verse 20, And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him. You will never beat us, is what they're telling him. You see, we and, and by the way, they go ahead and they put his clothes on, him and led him out to crucify him. They're mocking him. Now, again, one day he will be king and he'll take care. Just right now he's not. In his second coming, he's in power and great glory. Here he's not, lowly me. He's here now to pay the price to come. But the Gentile doesn't care. And that's the picture that's being painted here that not only does Israel say his blood's on us, but the Gentile is just as guilty. So the Gentiles can never say, we didn't do it. No, you did do it. You were there. Now, if you look at verse 20, Mark, again, right right to the point here. They they put on his own clothes, see, and then they're going to lead him out to, to Golgotha. They're leading him out. Uh, he's going he's gonna, to crucify him. He's going to die outside the camp. See, So what Mark is doing is Mark is painting the cross as that sin offering back in Leviticus. Matthew comes in and paints it as the trespass offering. The sin offering is taken care of outside of the camp. So there's a There's this picture, we're going to shed the blood outside the camp. We're going to go to Golgotha. We're going to go to Calvary, Mount Calvary, and we're going to do it there. And then Mark does something in verse 21 that is tremendous. He says, and they compel one Simon, a a, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Obviously, the Lord is weak. He's been beat up. Physically, he couldn't carry his cross. But, you know, yet he never gave up. That's the whole thing. He doesn't collapse. He doesn't, again, what did he say? I laid down my life, no man take it. I'm going to do this. So even in, the, even in the physically weakest moment, something else is also going on. No one could kill him. 
They've been beating on him pretty good. They're going to give him some, some gall to, mingled with wine, mingled with myrrh. They're going to try to, you know, and he just isn't going to be there, see. So, and again, they couldn't kill him because he's God. But the thing is, is he's doing this. So they've beaten on him. He's weak. But yet, they compel one Simon to help. In other words, they're on a time schedule, and they can't be delayed, see. They, they have to get this done because the chief priest has told Pilate, we need this done by X amount of, on the clock because we've got the Passover, and we've got our religious ceremonial stuff to do, and he can't be up there. We have to. So they were working on a time schedule. They're working rather quickly. Now, come over to, hold on to Mark 15, come over to Luke 23. Because in, in Mark 15 there, he says, verse 21, and they compel one. He didn't volunteer for it. They grab him. They compel him. Luke 23 and verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon. A Syrian, or Cyrenian, sorry. Okay, I found this on the web. Well, there you go. Usually I have that turned around. Now, was it you? It was me. I'm, I'm in the back room. We're done. Good night. <laughs> Verse uh, 26. Coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. They compelled him. He doesn't volunteer. So they, he's going to bear it after Jesus. Okay? Mark, he says, bear his cross. So the procession is the Lord walks out front and the cross is coming up behind. Okay? Now, sir, um, if you go back there to Mark 15, and they compelled one Simon a... a um, Cyrenian, he, that's a city of North Africa, okay? But then Mark adds the father of Alexander and Rufus. Luke doesn't, Mark, Matthew doesn't, but Mark does. So this information, again, not in Mark, Matthew, not in Luke, it's only in Mark. And it's very interesting because Mark acts like everybody knows who Alexander and Rufus is. And this is, his, this is the father of. They know who Simon is. See. And that, that, this is a, one of those chance encounters that happens, but yet it has a tremendous impact on them. Now, if you come over to Romans 16. Romans 16. And if you look here at verse 13. Romans 16, 13. And you just kind of think about this. In, in Romans 16, as we studied it and a couple months ago in con conclusion, Paul, starting up about verse 6 and, and so forth, he does a salutation to a lot of people. And in verse 13, he says, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. You, you see how he says, now this is, this is the only other Rufus mentioned in the Scriptures. So if it is the same one as Mark 15, and there's no indication that it isn't, there really isn't one that there is, except he says what? He's a believer. He's chosen in the Lord, his mother. So Rufus is a believer, and his mother is a believer. Come over to Acts 2. Now, if this Ruf the Rufuses are the same, Rufuses are the same, then that means that the event with dad had an impact, that encounter with the Lord, and then whatever would happen in life after, he became a believer and his whole house did as well. And what's fascinating about it, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost has come, 
verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Okay? And they begin to speak in tongues and so forth. But in verse 10, in the list of the, of the countries, or the nations represented, there is Cyrenia in it, in verse 10. So, if you think about Simon, why would he be in Jerusalem? He's out of the North Africa. Why is he in Jerusalem when the, here, Pentecost? Three times a year, they come, have to be in Jerusalem. First one is Passover. He runs into the Lord being crucified. Now he's there in Pentecost. So, again, if it's the same guy, come over to Acts 13. That's why he, this, was, this I think is why Mark puts this in. Because here he is, he's a believer, he's a Jew, and he's in Jerusalem, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles is the other one. So very possibly what's he, he runs in, he's not a believer when he runs into the Lord, but then that encounter happens and then that brings him in and his wife and the kids. 13.1, Acts 13.1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrenia. Now Niger means black. Okay, so he's Simon the black man. That's, what he, that's literally what, he, what his name was. But yet here, what does Luke do? Mark has father of Alexander and Rufus and Simon, but then Luke brings in that not only Mark, the encounter with Christ, bearing his cross, it had an impact at that event. And, and, and the impact in Mark is and, and, and really in all of this is the issue that there, it demonstrates the fruitfulness that comes by joining and following the Lord and the message. So in the midst of what seems to be defeat, actually agony and defeat, here is a seed planted of a, of a, here's, a here's some seeds of the believer coming out of what happened. And Mark just speaks about it and moves on. No one else picks up on it, and then Luke picks up on it here in the book of Acts as he's writing. So when you come back over here to Mark 15, <laughs> verse 21, and again, everybody thinks it's the same Rufus. I don't see reason why not. Okay, Paul identifies and talks about circumcision believers in his salutation in Romans 16, we studied that out greatly. But here, but Mark, just the father of Alexander and Rufus to bears, it's like, hey, you guys know who this is. They've been around, and as he's writing the book, okay? And again, Mark just sprinkles the boys in. Paul will talk about Rufus and his mom. By the way, his mom and mine. That it, Rufus's mom was not Paul's mom. Paul's an older man. In other words, what does a mother do? She's tenderhearted, caring, protective, taking care of. And that's what Paul, she endeared herself to Paul in that motherly manner of, hey, I'll take, you know, and so forth. Okay? Now, 1522. We got a few minutes here. 1522. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is, being interpreted, the place of a skull. Next time, because time's up, we don't have time to do this, we'll see that the place of the skull is literally the very place that Abraham brings Isaac to offer in Genesis 22. It is the same place. It's the exact place where they're going to take the Lord now and crucifying. It's the bad thinking that produced the bad actions. Satan beguiled Eve. What did he do? He corrupted her thinking, Paul says, in order to get rid of 
who she was in Christ. So what are we doing now? What is he doing? To get rid of why Christ came to die. See, we're going to corrupt the thinking. They're not paying attention. I'm sorry, Israel's religious leaders aren't. Rome could care less. He's just another Jew. And yet, what is he doing? He's coming and he's fulfilling. He, he's he's the very, in the very place to be made sin. Verse 23, And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Now, come over to Matthew 27. We'll pick up in verse 22 a little bit next time and just and see that issue there. Uh, look at this issue here about the wine mingled with myrrh. Now, myrrh is a, uh, it's a, it's an herb that is designed for numbing effect. It's a deadening element. In other words, it makes you f- feel no pain, okay? The Romans used it to calm them down, to calm the criminal down. Jesus Christ wouldn't take it. He's not, he's, He's not going to diminish the suffering. He's, he's not going to allow it to come in and to, to take the edge off of the suffering and the punishment and, and the very stuff, the very deal he's got to go through, experience. That's what I was word I was looking for. Experience there on Calvary. Now, if you look at Matthew 27, verse 33. Matthew 27, verse 33. By the way, just Luke 23, 36 says, And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. Again, mocking him. <laughs> all right? But also the mingled, the myrrh and all that, it allowed them to kill him easier. They could, they could break their legs easier. They could kill him. They could do a lot of things much easier and if you've ever seen any of the videos when people come out of their teeth thing and they're off the gas and all that stuff, that's, not, that's similar, but it's not exactly the same, okay? Notice Matthew 27 and verse 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Now, Matthew says vinegar mingled with gall, but what did it do? It tastes bitter, gall, to taste bitter. That's what gall is, something that's bitter. Mark tells us what, it was, what the vinegar was mingled with. It was myrrh. What did it do? It was gall. It tasted bitter. So Christ didn't drink it. See, Now, there's a reason why, if you come back to Psalm 69, and there's a reason why the Lord doesn't drink the, the, the morphine, if you will, doesn't take on the, the, the deadening desensitization issues, and it's Psalm 69. Because this is what the Lord knows. He, in Psalm 69, it's called the reproach psalm. It's all about the, 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 the cross and the crucifixion and, and, and really death. It's got some great illustration, descriptive terminology about dying. Uh, if you look at verse 20, verse 20, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. You see that gall? Two things there. They gave me gall and then vinegar to drink. Well, the gall, that's the wine mingled with the myrrh. He tasted it's gall. It's bitter, and he doesn't drink it. But then later, what does he do? He says, I thirst, and they bring up the vinegar, and he drinks that. Why? To fulfill the second half of verse 21 there, see. So he, and by the way, that's in John 19. So he is very aware of, of I've got to pay attention, I can't numb, be numbed down, 
By the way, he, his head is erect the whole time. He's on the cross. The only time he ever bows his head is at the end when he gives up the ghost. And he's literally clicking down through, and he's got he's seven, seven sayings, seven things happening. That last one is, you know what, Psalm 69, 21b's got to be fulfilled. So, hey, guys, I thirst, and they bring it up, okay? So when you come back to Mark uh, 15, verse 23, by the way, the new Bibles, the new King James Bible, makes that gall, vinegar to drink and the gall and all that, and just says wine. And the new Bibles, they change it out and they sour wine and they really goofy little... And the reason they do that is they don't want credit given to the Lord for fulfilling Scripture, being who He said He is. In their mind, and their theology, He's just another great guy and we're just going to do that. So... It's a fascinating thing here in 15, 16 to 23 that uh, of, of all that they're, they're doing to him, they're fulfilling Scripture. They don't know it. It's, it's like that thing he's going to use the Antichrist as a rod of my indignation, and he doesn't know it. I'm using him. He's just doing it because of the wickedness. He wouldn't take it, verse 23, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, they, they leave the mingled with myrrh out is what they do, and they just leave wine. Well, that sounds like he had a little rosé, you know, or a little chardonnay or whatever, you know. And no, it's not, but he received it not. He didn't take it. And the, the reasons outside of fulfilling Psalm 69 and other passages is that he needed to experience all the pain, all the suffering that's associated with death. And just one more reference, come over to Revelation 14. And here's the other side to the not drinking issue. Revelation 14 and verse 10. The Lord Jesus Christ, he had to experience the wrath of God without mixture. Revelation 14, 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The, when the Lord take, he, he takes that cup, and the only way to drink of that cup is without mixture of the wrath of God. And when he does that, his soul is literally experiencing the second death, the lake of fire. Okay, And the ultimate consequence of what he's be doing was to come along there and to physically experience death. That's why he was to be raised. What are we going to be? Raised. But then he's going to now come in and he's going to completely and totally and fully experience our second death. And I say our because we're believers, okay? But he experienced that, and he has to experience all of it in its ugliness, in its violence, all of that in order to be Redeemer, Savior, and to be able to do Romans 3 and Romans 4, Romans 5, and so forth, okay? So we'll pick back up here at the end of Mark 15, verse 22 and following and go on a little bit then there. But what happens is, ultimately, is these events are demonstrating the value of a passage like Romans 5.8. But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's that how that he died. How that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, was buried and rose again the third day. According, here it is. How did he? He got the tar beat out of him physically, but now he's going to go and spiritually go to battle with the adversary and, and experience. When he says, I'm not a man, I'm a worm, Isaiah 66 says that is what the lake of fire condition is for the soul of humanity, of man. He experiences that on the cross, in the three hours of darkness, 
He doesn't die and go to hell and, uh, you know, the torment side and all that. He doesn't do that. He's on that cross before, when he says it is finished, he's not talking about just the physical issues. He's talking about that spiritual war against, with the adversary. And Isaiah says, who will contend with me? Let him come. Let's get on with it. And that's liter- that battle on the cross is literally happening right there. Now, when he gives up the ghost, he's buried. He spends the, th- the, the time in Abraham's bosom. That's what he told the thief. You'll be with me in paradise. He does that. And then on the third day, he's resurrected. And that is that defeat of the last enemy that has to happen for that to be. He was raised for our justification. And he has to do that. So these events, he can't shortchange them. He can't say, okay, I'll, I'll do that one and that one. I don't like that one, though. No. He's doing every piece. But the people that are doing it to him are involved as well. Whether they know it or they don't know it, they're also guilty. And that's where the condemnation of all comes in, ultimately. So... Some unique things happening here, all right? All right, Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into the events surrounding your death, your burial, and your resurrection. And Lord, I just pray that we'll take them to heart, look at them, understand it, and uh, in, in the heart of gratitude, live life for you then. In your name we pray, amen.